Audrey Pate, I've known since she was 14-ish. And I had the privilege of being Audrey's youth pastor. You can sit, these are fancy, from Walmart. That's a hot mic. Audrey just returned from Haiti this last week. Uh, when I got there, Audrey was on her bed of affliction. Um, and uh, I was able to donate my Cipro to the cause, um, which was unfortunate because I technically ended up needing it this week. Um, but as Audrey and I were talking this week about what God had done in her, I was... I was just really intrigued by the whole thing, and she's, she was a little bit nervous because she said she didn't want anybody to look at her. I don't, I don't like being looked at, no. So if you guys would just look that way. That way. And... <laughs> uh, move to the other side of the table. No. Um, but, Aj, uh, tell us a little bit about like, what you were sharing with me last night about what God did in you. Um, basically, I went to Haiti with like my expectations for the most part. I think they were pretty right on, and I wasn't that shocked um but um i'll preface this a little bit um i just kind of the way i deal with things is to not deal with them and to tell myself that i'm being optimistic by thinking about people who have it so much worse than me and um that's just what i do and it is coming back (laughs) um but so Basically, there, one of the last nights we were in Haiti, we had a um, service, and some of the people from our group, um, no, uh, just from the New York group, they were talking um, and just sharing testimonies and um, speaking what they felt that they should. And one, um, <laughs> one girl who I got pretty close to over the trip, um, she was telling the story of her dad and I mean I mean I won't go into it but it was my life with people with different names and she was like you know it's it's just important to take care of that and do what you need to do um, and forgive and you'll be able to move and to me like the whole time in Haiti like I loved it I loved every second that I wasn't puking I loved um, <laughs> but um, I just, I was totally loving it, and I didn't have to think about my issues at all, and, you know, I felt like that was, you know, God was talking to me, and he was, he just told me that, you know, you're important, you are just as important as these people, and um, covering it up, like, I guess, you know, helping other people is a good way to cover it, but, um, you know, it just, it made me cry, which is awesome, (laughs) but, um, you know, it just, Everything she said, it was God telling me through her, you know, work with what you have and, like, work on you because you are important and it's not, you know, they're important too. Everyone's important. We're all important and we're all his children and um, I just didn't expect to get that out of Haiti. You know, I was expecting not to worry about me, so. One of the things that I think happens is that I mean, the purpose of a conduit, of a pipe or whatever, is that we're to, is that things flow through it, like power or electricity flows through a conduit or water. But as that's happening, the purpose of the conduit is being fulfilled. 
And I think in our own lives that what happens when Jesus talks about those rivers of living water that would flow through us, that as we're letting them flow through, they clean us out. You know, if, if you've been around a pond for any given time, especially around August, man, it's kind of nasty and dank and stinky because it's just sitting there. It's just holding it. But if you're around a river in the Rockies where the water is just flowing, man, it's beautiful and it's pristine because it's flowing and it always trusts that that water that as it gives out on one side, there's still going to be a source from it on the other side. And so when you're in that situation, letting those, the rivers flow through you, it does... It's what, it's what he promised it would do. It cleans us out. It serves our own purpose. So how is your life different now from two weeks ago? Um, I mean, I can't, I can't fully answer that yet. Like, I'm, there's still so much that I'm like, I mean, nothing looks the same. People don't look the same. You know, like, I see, I came back a completely different Audrey than I left, and I've still got a lot to process, so, yeah. you know, um, I, I actually expected to come back and be kind of angry at all of us, like myself included, for, like, having stuff and, like, you know, just being like, oh, just, that's a given, give me that, like, I deserve it, or, you know, just that attitude, but it's totally not, like, I have more compassion for people here than I did when I left, yeah. and just, you know, that obviously... God telling me that through Julie was a huge part of it. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure the next couple of weeks, it's more and more things are going to change, and my eyes are going to open to different things and yep. um, all that. But I'm just, you know. Well, we love you. I'm just excited. <laughs> <laughs> we love you and are proud of you. Watched Odge grow up. I remember when she was 14 talking about how she wanted to grow up and be a missionary. And I didn't say that. I vividly remember it. <laughs> and so to, be, to hear that and then these years later to see it, it's just amazing. You know, if you've looked on your table, you see these pictures that we've started with. And part of our story, we talk about if a church, we're, we're not just a church, we're a branch on the family tree. This is the family. And when you go to grandma's house or Aunt Lucy's house, what do you see on the wall or the mantle is pictures of the family. And so as this year unfolds, we're adding more and more pictures to what God is doing. And not just in Haiti, not just in Africa, but right in our own midst. So that by the end of the year, we're going to have a, I don't know that we'll have a fireplace and a mantle, but we'll have a, a nice collection of, of, of family pictures. And so Aja's picture, which you can't see, um, is going to be added to the family tree here this morning. It's a great little picture. I don't remember what that dude's name was. Peterson. The kids in Haiti all love Aja. And next week, I'll have one of them. We'll have some blown up on, on the cardstock out there where she's just surrounded by kids and just the biggest smile on her face. But all that to say, Aj, thank you. If you give a big hand for Aj as we add her to the family tree. <laughs> and Corey, did Corey leave? There he is. Corey is our youth guy, Pastor Dude. And Corey... Also just came back from Haiti. And two ADDs. No, these are nice, do we? Seriously? Yeah, they're Walmart. They're warm. Oh, this one is warm. Um, Corey, uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing for the last year. And Corey's one of these guys that 
just he's, he's young, but you don't realize it because most guys that are Corey's age, um, but just be that as it may, Corey's is, is, uh, is a hard worker. He's on time. I'm like, Corey, what's wrong with you, dude? You're like 20. You should be like showing up late, but he doesn't. Anyway, so it's fascinating. But Corey was on the trip along with his brother this week, and I asked him to share as well, especially knowing that his family's here this morning. Um, like, what, what did God do in you? Oh, man. Haiti was amazing. It was like, I've been on missions trips before. I've been, um, I went with uh, my past church to Guatemala, and it was like the best trip of my life. And it was so good that I actually went back alone for two weeks just to intern with the missionary that was there. Um, and that was also amazing, but Haiti was uh, a whole different ballpark. It was uh, the best way that I can think to describe Haiti. Um, you know how God, or it says in the Bible how um, some people are like whitewashed tombs. Like the outside is all clean, but the inside is filth and dirt. Well, take that and reverse it. Because <laughs> Haiti's not trying to look clean, let me tell you. Um, it is a wreck. It is in shambles. It is disgusting. I can't tell you the smells. I can't, I mean, it's just horrible. But, you know, you go, you get there, and the plane ride was, it was, it was okay. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> You get there, and then you get in this truck, and you ride up these hills for three hours. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, like straight roads. I'm talking about switchbacks. And these people don't drive slow because there's no speed limits. So they're, like, tipping on two wheels trying to Like, the go horn is part corners. of the driving. Horn is part. It's, like, literally, like, shifting gears, <laughs> steering, and honking. Those are all part of driving. It's crazy. Thank God they don't talk on cell phones while they're driving because <laughs> that would just be really bad. But, um, so. <laughs> they're too busy honking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um. I cannot tell you, I think between the trip there and the trip back, we probably had six people get car sick and just puked everywhere. <laughs> and I'm not, like, I don't know if anybody's ever been to Hawaii, but there's this road called the Road to Hana. Like, this is that on steroids. This is just, like, insane. And I don't get car sick, and I was feeling sick. I had to go to bed. Like, I had to put myself to sleep. Um, but you get there, and, and it's just, Haiti is so much, it's in better shape than Port-de-Prince. Um, but the drive up there, just your heart just starts to turn because you see these people that they have nothing. Like, literally, they have nothing. And they're living in, they put up four sticks and they put sheets around them, and that's their life. And, you know, it's so, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Awful? <laughs> Awful would work. Um, it's horrible. You know, and, and, but they're all smiling. So it's like really crazy. And you know, when I first got there, I was so concerned. Like I was always watching my bag and like, cause I had my passport in my backpack and I didn't want to be stuck there. So like I'm watching my passport and like looking over my shoulder constantly. And then it's crazy because like I said, the outside is all dirty. And then you get there and you get to these kids and they're so pure. They're so like, the one thing that God did for me in this trip was he showed me real love. Um, we have it so backwards here in America. It's just like, hey, I love you, so I'm going to support you, and I'm going to give you stuff, and you know, I'm going to be around you. That's great, but these kids, they have nothing. They have nothing to give you. The only thing they can give you is their love, and they do an amazing job of it. It's just like this warmth. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just this warmth that you feel around these kids where you know there is no doubt in your mind. They truly love you. They would die for you. And it's, it's awesome. It really is. Um, 
Corey introduced to Haiti some new and exciting games for the kids. One of which was, now keeping in mind, Corey's broken just about everything. <laughs> um, I feel bad for his father and the medical bills, but taking that to Haiti, <laughs> Corey had him like hanging on one of the tent poles, like the thing where they were hanging on this bar and would literally just let him hang until they thought they were going to fall. And then he'd catch him at the last minute and then they'd laugh and howl. And, and actually some of the Haitian moms were just like American moms. Now keeping in mind, in Haiti, they're like running around like 21 foot holes, like where they could fall down and scraping things with razor blades. I mean, you're literally like with us, we'd be like, you know, we'd be, anyway. But with Corey, for some reason, that's, he managed, even with all that, to kind of, you know, panic the moms a little bit. They'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, and then he died, the one like reverse helicopter grabbing by their feet and literally spin in a circle. They loved it. And yeah, oh yeah. So years and years and decades from now, they will speak of the white man that brought them, that has the spinning <laughs> helicopter game. It, but um, Corey was awesome there. As awesome as he is with our kids here, he was awesome with the kids there. And we were, you know, we brought back pictures of Corey as well. And again, I'm going to put these up on this one table, so if you want to come by and look at them. And again, we'll have big versions next week. But this was the one that we wanted to go with, kind of Corey and nice and loving. And, but then we realized that there was a more appropriate one, which is, uh, you can't really see it, but this little girl with her hand right over Corey's mouth. He was talking, and she was just like, <laughs> shut up. So, so all that to say, uh, Corey's going to go with our middle school and high school students right now. If you want to follow him out, I have no idea. It could get loud is all I know um, with him. But uh, have fun with Corey. Give Corey a hand as he goes. As we add his, add his picture to the family tree. Um, it was a lot of fun down there with... Uh, having Corey and his brother and his brother in a contest to see how much he couldn't eat. Um, which I, by the way, I'm, I, I have no problem with that. I'm definitely, have, I'm really good at pushing stuff around and making it look like I ate, like, look, look like I ate it. Um, and of course I managed to get sick as well. I, I always get sick in these places. So my GI system is not as compliant with Haiti as I need it to be. Acts chapter three is where we find ourselves in the word. I love this because in Acts 2, it's like, oh man, they got together, they started a church, just like, I mean, if you're new or visiting this morning, we've only been doing this for three weeks. We're, in, we're not very good at it yet. Um, we're we're going to mess some stuff up, but what I love about it was, you know, a bunch of people got saved, we started church, and then, and then one day, like it just goes right into their lives. And one day, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, if you're a King James guy, your Bible says in the ninth hour, right? Which feels very spiritual and very like, what? but it's three in the afternoon. And if that time rings a bell for you, it's because that was the time that just a few months ago that Jesus on a cross said, it is finished. It's over. It's done. And at that moment, that word when he said, I'm the door came to pass on that day because this temple veil, this gigantic curtain that represented the distance between us and God was ripped in two, opening to the Father. That no more for you, no more for me, that we would be on the outside looking in. It's at that time that they're headed to the time of prayer. And it says, now a crippled man from birth, which, and again, King James, it says that he was lame. 
right? Which that actually is more like our day anyway. That dude was lame. Lame. Couldn't walk from birth. It says this dude was lame, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he, uh, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. But then Peter said, you know, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And amazing. Not this, like this actually happened. This isn't just a Santa Claus thing. This happened. This dude got up. He took him by the right hand. He helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Dr. Luke, the guy that wrote this book, he's talking about his ankles. It, like they were out of joint and pop, pop, pop. And here they are in joint. He's walking on them. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then verse 11, it says that while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or our godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You, and I love this verse, I don't know why it just jumped out at me today. Peter just identifying the irony in what happened. You killed the author of life. The guy that made life, you killed. And he says, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Remember in Acts 2, we learned that the power of the Holy Spirit, that wah, dunamis thing, while it is fun to see on television, it was more that it was to be power to be witnesses, gave him the power to say this to the same group of people that could just as easily have killed Peter. He's saying this to these guys right now. God raised him from the dead. We're his witnesses. In verse 10, or 16, I'm sorry. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given us or given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. And 17, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that as Christ would suffer, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. And he goes on to talk about the prophets and all the stuff that was, gonna, that was foretold to happen. One day, Peter was walking. One day, John was walking. And I think that what that 
says to me, to you, is that our lives as believers, it's all about one day. It's all just part of the story. One day, Hodge was in Haiti. One day, when Donna was at school and she encountered a kid that had needs, one day at the grocery store, one day, it's just that is a part of our lives as believers, is that the church, this thing when we're together, man, that's awesome. And God can move in our midst and collectively we're supposed to be here. But one day, whether it's Saturday or Monday or Tuesday, in our lives are the opportunities that God brings to us. And when I look at this chapter, and I don't know if you're a note taker, if not, it's a great way to, you know, A, to remember what I'm talking about, but B, if God starts talking to you during this service, man, feel free to check out and to just keep writing and to keep listening to what God has to say to you. Because trust me, if he's got something to say to you, I don't want to get in the way of that. But if you're a note taker and want to write down, I just, as I looked at this chapter, man, there were some things that jumped out at me that are things in their lives that I think if we are in our lives, that we see in our lives, that when our one day moments come, that we're prepared for that. And it doesn't have to be just in Haiti, just in Africa. Thompson Station. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story at Starbucks this week in Cool Springs of all places where everybody's a Christian, except for this one guy. Every, I mean, there are one-day moments everywhere. But the thing when you look at these guys, you see, first of all, that they were men of prayer. Where were they going at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? They were going to pray. When I started to realize that we were going to do this church, this thing, and I was being um, assessed by some theologians, I did have one guy that was a lot smarter than me, which is not hard to be, say, Darren, it was at the end of the assessment, he says, look, you know, you, you've been a manager, you know, uh, an entrepreneur, you've started companies, and, you know, you ha would have a tendency to, in your own cleverness and creativity, to make this thing happen all on your own. And so here's this guy that spent tens of thousands of dollars on his theological degrees, and he says, I want to just challenge you to be a man of prayer. And I took that. I was like, you know, that is a really true statement. Because in my own life, my struggle is that I love the Bible so much, not as a you know, woo, look at me, but I just, I'm kind of a geek. I really enjoy that. And if I'm given the opportunity to study or to pray, man, I take study every time. But I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but for 300 years after the church was born, they didn't even have the Bible. The Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit is what they had. I'm not at all uh, saying that we shouldn't be in the Word. I absolutely believe that God's Word is active. It's alive. But I'm also saying that if I, that's all I'm doing and I'm not encountering the Lord in prayer, I mean, Jesus, these guys, Peter and John, would have remembered Jesus saying, just a couple years ago, hey, this kind of demon, he doesn't come out but by prayer and by fasting. These guys were men of prayer. And so when this opportunity came, they didn't panic. They didn't freak out. They're like, ah, I got to go pray. They just did it. It just happened. They were men of prayer. These guys were not only men of prayer, but, man, they were flexible. Because you know what? They were on their way to do something else. By the way, doing something honorable. They were going to church. They are going to go pray. They are going to hang out with the brothers and the believers. They were on a schedule. But they let God interrupt their lives on the way to doing something else. They were open to that. I, I found this this week, and this was absolutely hysterical to me and convicting at the same time. But there was a 
Princeton Seminary did a study of theology students wondering how they would react if they encountered somebody in need. And so the, the study went a little something like this. They had these you know, seminary kind of guys, and seminary guys, some of them are cool, and most of them aren't. They're just, you know, very straight-laced and, you know, very smart people, and, but they were going to say to them, look, you're going to go and give a, a talk on a subject, and what they were going to do, what they didn't tell the students was, in between you and where this talk is going to be, we put a guy that was sick, that was clearly in need, that was, like, wailing and groaning and asking for help, and they put it in an alleyway where they literally would have had to step over the guy to get to where they were going, Okay. So to make it interesting, they wanted to, it says that they first wanted to find out their passions to see if, if their passions would have helped them at all. So we're, we're, if they were, their passion was to help those in need, which many of our passions in this room is to help those that are in need. Or was their passion to just get more Bible knowledge or their passion? So that, and then the question was, well, how many of those folks stopped depending on their passions? The second variable was what was on their minds? So like half of the students they were going to have them do this talk on the Good Samaritan. The other half was to do a talk on, I think it was the modern relevance of professional clergy in the modern church, something you do at Princeton, right? So, so that, they were those two schools of thought. And the question was, is, would the guys that were talking about the Good Samaritan, would they have helped more or less? The next thing that they did was to say, on their way over there, they had half of the students were asked, were met by somebody coming back that said, hey, you guys, you got to hurry. They're ready for you. They're waiting for you right now. The other half were met with someone saying, hey, the other guy's not done yet. You got a little bit more time. Don't, you don't have to hurry. And so the question was, how many of those people would stop and help depending on their passions, depending on whether they were in a hurry, depending on what they were speaking on, what was on their mind. And here's what's really interesting about it. The only variable in the experience, this was the quote that really mattered, was whether the student was in a hurry. Of the group that was told they were late, only 10% stopped to help, walked right over the guy. Of the group who knew they had a few minutes to spare, 63% stopped. It says, on the basis of their experiment, Darley and Batson concluded that the convictions of our hearts, the actual content of our thoughts, have comparatively little in the end to do with how we act. What's more important is the immediate context of our behavior. All it took were the words, oh, you're late, to make people who were ordinarily compassionate into people who were indifferent to suffering. As Darley and Batson put it, being in a hurry was enough to turn a student in that particular moment into a different person. And for me, man, those words are oh, piercing to me because... I tend to run around like my pants are on fire. I, you know, as a manager, we were the, I was spinning plates at any given time. We had stuff to do. And, and these, these things, these, these Blackberries, these iPhones that are meant to make our lives more accessible and more productive have instead turned us on to the world around us while shutting us off to the life that's going on right in front of us. And I say that to me just as much as I say it to you. I mean, that's my struggle. Say a command. Is, is my struggle is is remembering that while I'm working hard on trying to make things happen, that there's life happening right in front of me. And I'm happy to say that I'm doing way better at it, even though I still pretty much stink at it, but I'm doing better at it. I mean, I know it because there's times that I don't know where my phone is. I always knew where my phone was. There's times now I'm like, I don't know where my phone is. That's a huge step for me, <laughs> like huge. 
No idea where my phone is. Knowing that life in front of us, it's such a trap, you know, with Satan not being omnipresent or omnipotent, not possible to be everywhere at the same time. He knows that the best way to get to us is just through our own little systems and our own little things. He doesn't have to be whispered in my ear, Darren, be busy, be busy, be busy. He knows that I just have buy-in with that, so he can just wind me up and leave me alone. And I'll screw it up plenty on my own. Don't need his help. Being busy isn't a badge of honor. If anything, it becomes a distraction and it becomes this false sense of I'm getting something done when I can miss what God is whispering right in front of me. This week, I'm sitting at Starbucks. I get a call from a guy that I haven't seen in forever. In fact, he was a guy that I'd done concerts with up in Michigan, and he just happened to be in town, had read a couple things on the blog, and was like, hey man, I'd love to meet you, but I'm leaving like right now, and I'm headed north to Michigan. He said, I could turn around and come back and meet you at Starbucks. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. That'd be totally awesome. So I, you know, made arrangements at the house. Audrey was watching the kids, and I took off to Starbucks. So I'm sitting at the Cool Springs Starbucks, and I'm talking with this guy, and what he's doing now, and the awesome things that he's doing, and and out of, the, out of nowhere, a very large man walks up to the table, and I kid you not, I'm not making this up, says, and I quote, are you a minister? And I'm dressed kind of like this, actually even worse than this. I didn't have my cool, culturally relevant shirt on, but I was, this guy goes, excuse me, sir, are you a minister? And I was so taken aback that the guy had to answer for me. Rich goes, yeah, he's a pastor, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, but what? Like, at this point, I'm waiting for the for the hidden cameras to come out, right? Or the, he says, good, because man, I just gotta know, and he's got this super intense look in his eyes. I just gotta know if God is real because there's some real heavy stuff going on in my life and I've got to know. And I'm like, and at this point I'm thinking, I've just stepped into one of those church skits about how to, you know, how to witness. And they set up these things that never ever happen in real life. You know, is God real? And well, yes, let me tell you, First Peter says to be ready to have an answer. No one's ever done that to me. I don't even know anybody that knows anybody that that's happened to. And this guy, who is, by the way, a big dude, okay, like a no screwing around bodyguard kind of guy, that's actually what he did for a job, says, I just got to know. And I'm like, okay, I haven't seen Rich in years. He's driving to Michigan. And I look at Rich and he's like, I'll let you take this. <laughs> and, uh, and he leaves. So I take the guy out. We go out and sit on the, uh, on the patio. And he's like, look, man, I just got to know. You know, he keeps calling me sir. I'm like, look, dude, you call me sir, and I'm looking for my dad. I'm Darren. And, and he's like, I just, he says, my wife left me on Sunday. She took the kids. My kids are everything to me. He says, I'm out of money. I, I lost my job a month ago. I have nothing. They're coming to evict me. This is 4 o'clock now at 5.30. If I don't have the money by 5.30, I'm evicted. And he just keeps talking, going on and on about how he doesn't know what to do. And he says, so I'm about to go. Uh, he says, I, I, there's a guy that lives three doors down from me. And he says, I, and my kids play with him. And they play with him because this guy's able to provide him with, uh, to, to provide him with Xbox. And he says, and I can't do that for my kids. And so I know this guy. But the reason he does it is because he's a drug dealer. He said, and so... He asked me, is it possible that a guy can do the wrong thing for the right reason and it still be okay? I was like, dude, you gotta, you got to shoot me straight. What are you doing? What are you about to do? And at this point, I'm kind of looking around going, if this guy has a gun, I'm so going to be mad that this, because it was, I don't know him. He's intense. Like he's, it's not like he's conning me. He's, he is freaked out, scared, and borderline angry at the way his life has turned out. And he says, 
I'm, I'm going to rob this guy. He's like, this is money he doesn't need anyway. He's a drug dealer. He'll get more. And I don't, you know, I'm going to rob this guy. I'm like, okay, look, dude. Let me tell you what. You just told me about how much you love your kids and how they're gone from you a week and you're freaking out. You want to leave them for 10 years? I mean, help me understand the logic of this. He's like, well, I'm not scared. I'm like, look, Michael. And of course, in mind, I'm thinking, I'm scared. If this guy jumps over the table and breaks me in half. <laughs> I was like, Michael, that is a crazy thing to have said. I'm not talking about whether you're scared. I'm talking about are you going to leave your kids for 10 years to get a quick, you know, he says, I know, man, I've been trusting in me my whole life. And it hadn't gotten me very far. And that's why I got to know, is God real? And that moment of being interrupted, and I'd love to tell you that I'm just like this real spiritual guy, and I just, you know, this, this just doesn't happen that often to me. And I actually left him, and he didn't, by the way, didn't ask for anything. But I was like, look, dude, and I just felt the Lord say, pay his rent. So I left, and we got a check, and I came back, found out the name of his landlord. I was like, look, Michael, I just want you to know that God is shooting up a flare for you right now. You're asking, is he real? And I'm telling you, he is offering to pay your rent right now to get you through this month. It was like 400 bucks to just throw you a flare and say, over here. The sign is pointing, wow, wave. I'm actually saying he is waving you in, Michael, right now. At which point, he picked me up and hugged me the kind of hug, that literally, and you know, I'm not a small man, off the ground, two feet, popped my back from the, my neck to the bottom. <laughs> it was like, Brap! it was like, they heard it across the street at P.F. Chang's. It was like, and cried. He just cried. And we prayed there because God interrupted our lives that day. And I don't, the, the, his story is still being written. I don't know the end of the story. But this whole week, this morning, I'm sitting out there trying to get the sign to hang up, right? I'm like, and it won't. So I'm like, I go tie it to the stop sign. If you came in later, you see it's tied to the stop sign now. Cause I'm like, ah, now I'm going to get it. And I'm bent over and I hear this. And I hear, I'm, I'm like, I'm in the zone. Cause I'm trying to make sure I can get my, my, I got my thoughts together for this morning. And, and I'm doing I hear this. Can't get that sign up. Can you boy? Which scared the dickens out of me. I'm like, <laughs> jump up. And it's the nice, nice old man that owns the big creepy civil war era house up on the hill over here. And at which point I talked to him for like 30 minutes. Turns out he owned all this land and sold it all. And we talked about his wife. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling him, look, you know, I had an opportunity to invite him to come hang out with us and spend some time here. I'm like, look, you, you can come dress like me. I'm the pastor. Clearly, you're going to be okay. You know? and, um, but it's like God is just beginning to open these opportunities in our lives, in my life specifically, because I've just shut up long enough to listen. I've just turned the Blackberry off long enough to be available and I'm not saying I got it all together. I mean, God knows. Just ask my wife. She'll come up and testify. I don't have it all together. But in our lives, every, every day is an opportunity for the one day. There was a flexibility. They also had a sensitivity. And what I mean by that is real simple. This guy, understand, where was he at? By the gate of the temple. They would have walked by him every day. Jesus would have walked by this guy and didn't heal him. Because you can't, we can't, I can't, you can't respond just to the needs in front of us. Because we'll go crazy if we do that. There's too much. When I'm in Haiti, it's like, dear God, how do we do this? If you've been around any sort of social services here in town, you're like, how on earth can we possibly serve all these people? With our friends at Place of Hope, the need is just so great. There aren't enough beds. How do we possibly serve everybody? And the answer is we don't.
We don't serve by the need, we serve by obedience. The needs are everywhere, so it's us listening to what is it that he's telling us to do. And parenthetically, as we're serving, as we're lifting them up, that's, look what they did. They got them he got up on his own two feet again. If all we're doing is bringing breakfast, lunch, and dinner to a family, we're definitely providing for them for the immediate. But Jesus, but Peter and John, they were providing for the long term because this guy's on his own two feet again. He has the ability, he's empowered now to be, to provide, to take on for his own what God has done in his life. Now he can go and provide for his own family. Doesn't have to count on somebody bringing him to beg anymore. And at that moment, at that time, that's what God did for them. And I think that's what we've got to do. And it's what we're doing in Haiti right now. We're not just feeding them. We're teaching them, these little guys, how to respect women. We're teaching the women that they're not just a piece of property. We're teaching them how to grow up and to be men and women of God, knowing that they are the way that God can change that nation, not by the white guys showing up with money from America. We've lost $4 billion of taxpayer money in the toilet of Haiti because of government corruption, because the government wasn't called to do that by God, the church was. So while they're doing that as a church, we're going there to empower with not only just a bowl of rice, but with God's word and God's principles of how to be a man and a woman of God and how to love your wife, how to love your children. Empower them, getting them on their own two feet. Finally this, they were men of humility. They weren't just sensitive, they weren't just flexible, they weren't just men of prayer, but they were humble. I believe that at this point, when, Jesus, when Peter, they're coming at him saying, woo, look at you, this is, he is in great peril. Because the temptation would be to say, yeah, I'm pretty cool, aren't I? The temptation would be to do apostlepeter.com to start his worldwide outreach evangelistic ministries international to cut a book deal, to hit the road, to market himself, to put his name on it. In grave danger, Peter is. But he doesn't do that. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul will do it later. They're coming, man, you must be a god. And Paul's like tearing his clothes. No, 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 I'm just like you. Peter didn't do that. Peter said, no, no, why are you looking at me like we did it? Why do you want me to put my name on it? And my name, by the way, I mean, think about it. If you're, in a, if you're in a room, crowded room, in a conversation, and you hear your name, we're tuned into our name. We're tuned into our image. Test yourself. Go look at a group picture. Who's the first person you're looking for? What am I looking for? Me. Man, I look fat in that picture. How many cameras they got on me? I'm looking for me. My tendency is to put my name, my image, my deal on it. Isaiah 42, 8, God says, it's, I am the Lord your God, that is my name. And I'm not sharing it with anybody. And look, it's not that God is a glory hog. It's just she knows we can't take it. We start touching that and we start believing it. I look, I've worked in the music business, and all I've, I've, I've written press releases, okay? And it's a big, the ability to make somebody sound like they're doing great things. And you know what the danger of that is? Is that I start believing it. I really am pretty great, aren't I? And I'm not saying that those things are sinful to do. I'm just saying if you start taking and you start believing your own press, I start believing my own press. Because I don't know why it is, but man, my stinking, rotten, carnal flesh wants you to think that I am more spiritual than I am. I just do. I want you to think that I'm awesome and that I'm spiritual 
and that, you know, that I wake up in the morning and, you know, I, but that's not true. And the danger of it is, is when you get somebody saying that from a stage, from a pulpit, from whatever, the tendency that I would feel is, well, I'll never be able to make, I'll never be like that guy. That guy just wakes up in the morning, he's excellent. He belches excellence. <gasps> and I'll never be like that. And the reality is, is Peter's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not taking this. God says, no flesh shall glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You don't have to turn there. You can make a note and go there later. But listen to what Paul actually says. He says, why is it? This is chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive as if you did receive it? And why do you boast as though you didn't? It's like, God gave it to you anyway. Why are you over there bragging about it? And the temptation might be to say, yeah, but look, it was their faith that did it. Look, can they not at least brag in their faith? Look at verse 16 of Acts 3. He says, it's Jesus' name and the faith, look at this, that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Even the faith itself was given to him. He didn't earn it. He wasn't some man of great faith and power. Even that faith was given to him. God sovereignly gave it to him. So my temptation would be to take credit for it and to be excited about it. And instead, what I got to say is, I was just a conduit of the Lord. And my reaction, my response to it ought to be not DarrenTyler.com Ministries International so that you can be awesome and and send your love gifts so I can send you the glow-in-the-dark statue of Jesus with posable arms and oil-dispensing hands. You know, I mean, the, that's the temptation. But the reality of it is, is that I'm just, just a guy that God, just like you, chose and said, I, you know what? I choose you. And even the faith that it takes for the miracles that we need aren't our faith. It's God's faith through us. And I say that because my temptation, maybe your temptation would be as a church, would be to say, man, we're awesome. Look how many kids we're feeding. How many, church you're, how many kids your church feed? You know, we wouldn't say that maybe out loud, but we would think it. We might begin to think that, man, we're all that because look what we're doing. We're doing it so much better than everybody else. And in reality, what we ought to be doing, and actually musicians, if you want to come and we could end in worship, what we ought to be doing is looking to the Lord and saying, man, it's your grace. It is enough. You chose me, you're moving through me, you're working through me, through feeding the poor, through loving my neighbor, through that dude at Starbucks, through the opportunities that you have in your day-to-day life, so that every day is our one-day opportunity, is a day that God himself brings to us. It's a day that we can really say, man, you really are worthy of praise. I really am not. It's all about him. He created us, it says, for his pleasure. And giving that pleasure to him is us just serving him. And so my prayer would be for our church, our body of believers. We're not a building. I mean, clearly, we're meeting more, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're just a group of people that love the Lord that have come together in locked arms because God has had mercy and grace on us. Not because I'm particularly spiritual. Why would you look on Conduit Church and think that because of us and through our works and our godliness that we can be feeding 158 kids today in Haiti? Why is it you would look upon us and think that we could have uh, these things that are happening all around us 
Instead of just saying it's through Jesus Christ, it's through him glorified, it's through him working and moving through us that we can then give praise to him. That one day when we do get to heaven, we do stand before him and he gives us that Holy Ghost high five, welcome home, great job, come on in. It's our opportunity this morning to worship him. It's our opportunity to say, I got nothing else but to worship you. Everything that you've done for us, God, thank you so much. The things that you've, the miracles you've brought among us, just thank you for that, God. We worship you for that. And let that sink in in your hearts today as we worship him. You'll notice the um, shiny black offering buckets here. They don't look like planters anymore. I just say that now because the offering's, We'll be done there. If you're a visitor, man, we'd love to have a record of your visit. If you could just write your name on there, I promise I won't come knock on your door and freak you out. We would love to just have a record of it if you visited with us. And know that communion remains available today for us. What better way to come and to acknowledge the grace and the love of a God of loves us so extravagantly than to remember at the table of communion. Lord, we give you ourselves today. Thank you, God. You have chosen us to do some really cool stuff. And instead of us trying to be arrogant about it, we just worship you for it. Thank you, God. We're not going to boast as if it's something that we did through us. We're going to worship you because it's something you're doing through us. We really are just a conduit of you. In Jesus' name, amen.